Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm drink in hand. Today, we pick up where we left off last week in my conversation with urologic surgeon, author, positivity catalyst, and educator, Dr. Onika Williams. Let's continue where we left off. I think you told us two of the habits of positivity. Do you want to tell us the other three? Well, the first one, obviously, as I said, is that there is always a solution. Work to find it. The second one is keep up. You can convert a limit into an opportunity. The third is that we keep the positives and we discard the negatives. So if you think about it as a mathematical, you know, equation, um, a mathematical process, which is that the negatives are meant to take away from you. They're meant to subtract from you. So if you hold on to the negatives, unforgiveness, bitterness, you know, envy, just um, anger, those things are taking away from you. They're robbing you of your joy. They're trying to rob you. They're trying to strip you of your optimism, your positivity. I mean, like they're constantly taking away from you. Whereas the positives are meant to fill you up. And so if you simply put, you're like, okay, that negative operation, we're getting rid of it because I'm not holding on to anything that's going to take away from me. I'm going to hold on to the things that add to me. And as they add to me, you feel the buoyancy, you feel yourself being lifted. So it's keep the positives, discard the negatives. And it is not to say there again, is that, you know, my mom would say, you know, you fool me once, shame on you. You fool me twice, shame on me. So it's, it's meant that all of our experiences we're meant, they're meant to provide opportunities for learning, right? And that's why I say turn the limit into the opportunity. When you have an experience, you're supposed to learn from it. So it's not to discard the, not the negatives without processing, without evaluating, without turning it upside down and really understanding, okay, mm, I understand why this happened. But then you let it go. But you're not going to find yourself in that situation because what it has done is that it has increased your discernment. It has increased wisdom. So you just are able to let just the bitterness go, but you still have, you know, just the wisdom that you have So you keep these things that are positive. The the fourth one is that we're all here for a purpose, a unique purpose that is completely um, assigned to us that is not related to your circumstances, but it is related to caring for others. And so no matter who you are, you should have the confidence, no matter what your circumstances, your station is, that you were sent here, you are positioned here for a unique purpose, which if you don't fulfill, someone will not come in to their purpose or their blessing because of something that you have not done so that you understand the power that lives within you, uniquely gifted you, your own unique power that has the ability to change, you know, someone's or someone's life, but even if it's by a simple smile, and then the last one is to be to be thankful, to live, to find the things for which you are thankful, and then to believe that we, you know, because at the end of this, and, and, and I said none of these is, there's no hierarchy, it's really circular, because at the end of the day, we really start off with what do we believe? What do we believe? Do you believe that if there is a problem that you're going to find a solution? Like it first starts with what do you believe? And if you start off with, you know, that comes back full circle, then that informs how you 
approach the world. And this is a, a it's a minute by minute work, right? This is not a, oh yes, yeah, so I have these five and I tuck them away. I mean, like I am in as much as this is something that I have, you know, kind of internalized. These are the habits that I have extracted from my own experiences it is the habits that I based my girl super surgeon that I, you know, this character that I created, Dr. Dee Dee Dynamo, who's a girl superhero. Um, these are her powers of positivity. These are the five habits that inform that power. But in so much as I live it, it is still the work is ongoing. I have to literally hold myself, stop myself short and say, okay, there's a, Whatever problem, there's a solution, you know? And so you gotta, you know, it's a constant work, but I can promise you that if you do that work of constantly framing how you in, you, you, you approach whatever the experience is in your life, you will always come out to a form that is almost like I said, a scaffold where you're building this scaffold and the scaffold is the five habits of positivity. And as you layer your experiences on that scaffold, focusing on the process, not thinking about the outcome, but focusing on the process. Because if you have, here's what my belief is. My belief is that we are all born with a set of architectural drawings. Like God has already assigned to us, you know, who we are, what we are, what we're supposed to be, what our form is. Like those architectural drawings are already exist. And so when you have a set of architectural drawings as the the God as the architect, then, you know, those drawings to be manifest, you got to start doing the building. You got to build the foundation. You got to build, you know, the scaffold. You have to build the frame, you layer on. And so the scaffold, is are these habits of positivity and so if you layer your experience onto these habits of positivity it would it literally will conform to the architectural drawings that god has already assigned for your life and if you follow that process the outcome is always going to be in the will in god's will for your life like it will always be the outcome is always going to be what was that form that was already designed for you, you will always land in that place. And it will always be a form that is positive because when God does an architectural drawing for your life, it is meant to work for your good. And so it's never going to be a dump. It's never going to be some ramshackle down, falling down building, right? It is going to be a mansion. And so if you do the work, of just layering onto the scaffold, the form that emerges is always going to be that amazing building that God has designed for you. And you just have to, it's on the, the drawings are there. You just got to do the work to build on it. You listed many things when you introduced yourself. I don't think you said life coach. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you could do that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and one of the things that, and, you know, you've kind of really hit the nail on the head because one of the books, so as I said in the beginning, I'm an author as well. And one of the things that I really enjoy doing and that I do with patients, because I find that when patients see me in the office, our challenge is how do we make 
whatever it is that they're dealing with, whatever the diagnosis, the processes that they're dealing with, how do we simplify it in a way that they understand what is going on? Because I don't know how many times patients, you know, patients will come to me and they say, well, the doctor sent me here. I'm like, well, why are you here? I have no idea. Well, did they explain to you? Well, they did, but I don't even remember what they said, or I couldn't understand, or they said something, but I didn't understand it. And so my, my goal is always, how do I really break stuff down in simple terms and create simple analogies to everyday life that patients have the ability to understand what is happening in the body because it has now been, you know, kind of, as I said, broken down into a very relatable um, analogy. And so that's what I do with my children's book writing, which is that, you know, I'm built on this really creating this sort of educational company to really pull girls and kids of, of, of color to really create a model for who can be powerful and who can do science. And but not just girls and kids of color, but all kids, because we want to have kids exposed to a diverse range of experiences, reading, literary experiences that help them to see that all people can be super surgeons and superheroes and girls can be powerful and all people can be scientists. And, you know, what a scientist looks like, what a surgeon looks like is not just an old white man with spectacles. And so that's not just the message for us, for girls or for kids yeah. of color. That's a message for everybody. So that more and more or less and less me as a urologic surgeon, where, you know, when patients come into the office and they say, you don't look like a surgeon, they're kind of right because only 0.001% of physicians are black female urologic surgeons. So when they say you don't look like a surgeon, they're absolutely correct. So I want to change that narrative by exposing kids to all of these diverse images so that when they bump into a girl, a woman, black woman surgeon, they see Dr. Dee Dynamo. They're like, oh yeah, I grew up knowing that Dr. Dee Dynamo was a super surgeon. Of course, she's super surgeon on the go. Of course, black girls can be surgeons. It becomes like, of course, it's right. that's kind of the everyday experience. And so, um, and so in doing the same thing with my patients, I also realized that I just really love this gift of kind of writing, of really creating ways of helping people to see things and to, 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 to relate and to connect to, to these images and messages that imprints it in their head. And so one of the books that I'm doing writing right now, and as a matter of fact, it's written and it's just in its second editing is a book called Not Today Negativity, Five Habits of Positivity to Cope, Hope, and Be Healthy During Tough Times. And the images and the different scaffolds are, you know, things like treasure chests and slingshots. So I have these different visuals that will allow people to, in their heads, they're seeing that scaffold. They have this image. You know, and if you can visualize, right? I mean, many times when we say to, when, when, when I speak to young kids and I speak to kids of all colors, boys, and girls because it's important for them to have a visual, right? So the visual is important for little black girls who can see like, oh, when they think of, can I be a surgeon? They have an image of a black woman surgeon. They have an image of a black girl super surgeon. For little white girls or little Asian girls or little Puerto Rican girls, you know, they can say, well, 
Can I be a surgeon? Yes. I saw this woman, Dr. Dini Dynamo, and she's a surgeon, Dr. Onika Williams, and she's a surgeon. I can be a surgeon. Little black boys, little white boys can look at me and say, oh, wow, yeah, girls can be surgeons, women can be surgeons, black women can be surgeons. And oh, by the way, I am connecting with Dr. Dini Dynamo, not because she's a girl or because she's brown, but I am connecting because she's a leader. I'm inspired by her because she's kind. I'm inspired by her because she's excited. I'm inspired by her because she's enthusiastic about getting on an adventure and learning. I'm excited, inspired by her. I connect to her because she has all these cool instruments that she can use to operate. So what I take kids on a journey of by the time you know they get in front of me is like, yeah, this is who I am on the outside and you might think that you're different from me. And so you connect to me because, you know, you see that similarity externally, but there are also actually more of these points of connection about my character, about my heart, about my desire and vision to change the world. And so that external, you know, falls away and people see how, yeah, it is possible to connect to those who you think are different from you on the outside. But in actuality, we have so many things in common on the inside. And yes, the differences enrich our experience so that you're literally like, oh, wow, we have so much in common, but now I'm so curious about the things that are different. And it creates now this curiosity and these levels of, you know, bringing your imagination and bringing just this level of um, understanding of the beauty of the difference of our texture. So the book that I'm writing invites people into that. It invites them into my own experiences and how I leverage those experiences to create those points of connection to say, look, this is how I have dealt with my challenges. This is a construct that I've developed that has been very successful in creating this mindset that helps you to weather through these tough times. And oh, by the way, the more positive that you can be, the more mindful that you can be about creating those um, ways of decreasing your stress the more it plays out in the less likely you are to have a heart attack, the more be the better your blood pressure is controlled, the less likely you are to be depressed, the less likely you are to be anxious, the more likely you are to have better relationships, which really we are people who are meant to live in relationships. So the feelings of isolation are less likely to, you know, be um, a part of your everyday experience because you have the ability to build community because you feel good about yourself. And so all of these things play together to your emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical health. And so, yes, and so it is kind of like life coaching. It is kind of like I'm bringing, giving you a set of tools that will allow you to see your life differently and to see the challenges in your life as to how you have the power to approach them in a way that has you coming out at the end of it with this mansion and this form that is positive because you engage in a process definitely a book we need for today <laughs> do you have yes. any favorite patient stories or patient outcomes that you feel would be beneficial or uplifting for people to hear as they consider going to a urologist or a doctor in general 
So I have I have lots of lots of patient stories that I <laughs> and they're usually very colorful. Um, I you know you know I guess so one of my favorite patient stories. Um, one of my favorite patient stories is. A patient, this is a, a, a patient who is an older, you know, she's in her 80s. And she's, this happened years and years ago. She's, you know, probably deceased by now. Um, and one of the things in medicine and one of the things that I love about science is that we're constantly learning. We're constantly building upon our knowledge. We're constantly using our experience to inform whether or not, you know, we can improve upon whatever it is that the intervention is that we're offering to patients. So this particular patient, I started seeing her when I first started in practice, probably about 20 years ago. And as I said, she was about 80 at the time. And one of the things, the very common ways that we uh, or, or urologists used to deal with one of the well, common female complaints, which is urinary. Women have, you know, present to me with a, a lot of different complaints, but I say one of the more common complaints I see women for is urinary frequency and urgency and recurrent urinary tract infection. So those are very, very common presenting complaints. And so probably about 50 years ago, one of the mainstays of addressing those problems was to what we call to dilate the female urethra. So I've already described the urethra as that tube coming from the bladder to the outside where the pee comes out of. And in the women, in the woman, it's very short. And so when they would come in with these complaints, urologists used to insert these devices that would stretch the urethra open. And for whatever reason, it actually helped, you know, the women and they would respond, but they would respond for a little while and then the symptoms would come back and then they would come back again to the urologist's office and then they would do that stretching again and it would become this cycle. But one of the things that happens when you stretch something, if you think about, you know, stretching tissue um, and a tube, that's the lining is pretty delicate that when you stretch it, you kind of create a trauma. And so anytime you create a trauma in the body, scarring happens. And so as they would have these repeated dilations, the urethra will become more and more scarred. And the urethra is really surrounded by its muscles and the muscles are elastic, they squeeze to help to empty. And as it becomes scar, it's just like if you have a scar anywhere, that scar is very rigid, so it loses the elasticity. So the urethra becomes very rigid. And as it becomes very rigid, it becomes much more narrow. And so this vicious cycle becomes not just now about dealing with the frequency, urgency, or the recurrent UTIs. Now you're having to stretch it because it's so fixed, it's so scarred down that they can't pee because it's just constricted. And now you're literally going in every month to try to stretch it and to just open it up for long enough until it closes down again. So this was the cycle. By the time this woman came to me, 
that was the cycle that she was on. I was basically just trying to stretch her urethra, which was already part of what she was doing. And one of the things that also happens with women as you age and the estrogen goes away, everything kind of tightens up, the vagina tightens up. So it really is a very uncomfortable procedure because as I already mentioned, the urethra is in the part of the top of the vagina. So as I'm stretching, it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable. And so, you know, one day as I was, and, and I'm always you know, it's, it's very tough when you're a doctor and you're doing something that you know is painful, is uncomfortable for the patient. And so as I'm doing the, the stretching, I'm like apologizing. I'm like, oh my God, I am so sorry because it's like almost like I'm feeling it myself. And so one day she came in and she said, you know, it was their anniversary. I was saying, you know, I was stretching. She said, oh, it was their anniversary. I'm like, oh my God, you know, how long have you been married? You've been married for like 60 years. And I says, well, what are you going to do for your anniversary? And she said, well, you know, my husband is going to want to get a little loving, you know. And I was like, what? <laughs> I kind of scratching my head. So because <laughs> I've been doing these dilations, I know that, you know, her whole area is very, very scarred down and tight. So there's really not, it, 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 it has to be not very possible for her to really have sexual relations with her husband. So I was like, well, how, 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 how are you going to do that? And so she said, she said, well, you know, my husband is blind and this is something that is still very important for him. And he has erectile dysfunction. So she was really a little bit kind of, you know, not so happy when Viagra became, you know, <laughs> a medication that was introduced for erectile dysfunction because now her husband wanted to take this blue pill and the Viagra is a blue pill. And so the husband wanted to take the blue pill. Obviously, for her, she would prefer not to engage because, you know, it's very uncomfortable. So she says her husband insists that once a week he must take this blue pill so that they could do this thing. Yeah. And so because he's blind, what she did is instead of giving him the blue pill, she started giving him a sugar pill. <laughs> so she was giving him this pill that was nowhere in the closest close to Viagra. But you know, sometimes how the mind is a very powerful thing. Yes. So somehow he was getting the sugar pill. He believed that this thing was working. And so he was then having, you know, relations with her, but really and truly what he was doing was just kind of slapping up against her knee. Bad. But he didn't know enough <laughs> that he couldn't see to know that he was far away from the target. <laughs> he was on her knee with his sugar pill, as happy as a clam, just like he was just having the time of his life. And she was happy because, you know, for her, it was still important as a wife to make her husband feel like they were sharing that intimacy. And so it was a good middle ground. She was satisfied. It satisfied her emotionally to know that her husband could still get pleasure. She was giving him a sugar pill. He was on her knee. He was thinking he was lighting the world on fire and they were both happy. And I was like, okay, that's the secret to your 60 years of marriage. She's like, yep. 
that's how it works. And so that has that is probably one of my favorite stories because it really shows that you know marriage and intimacy it's a give and take it's not about you know kind of a particular like you know destination but it is really a dance of interaction because ultimately what she wanted was for her husband to be happy right and you know ultimately for him he just wanted to feel like he was engaging right and it's so, and it's so, it's not like, well, is he performing at the top of his register? But it is, you know, how they saw each other and how they wanted to continue to care for each other. And it was in the caring for each other that made that beautiful interaction that I was like, well, wow. And once <laughs> we. <laughs> That is too funny. Positivity. <laughs> you didn't happen to be his doctor as well, did you? Were you? You know, no, no I okay. did not. I yeah, no, he, he was. And you know, and part of it too, you know, for her is that, you know, one of the things, you know, their medications have side effects. You know, she was concerned. He was 80-something and blind and had heart disease. And so, you know, we know that, you know, you shouldn't be taking those medications if you're taking, you know, nitrates and so on and so forth. So, you know, reasonably, so I'm sure his doctor would not have given him that medication without feeling that it was safe. But still, sometimes even when physicians give a medication, we say that it is safe. When you read the, the side effects, many patients will still have hesitation about yeah. taking the medication because it just sounds like it really has such significant side effects so out of concern for his well-being his physical well-being she you know made the decision that she didn't want him to take the medicine but also out of concern for his emotion on a mental well-being she knew that that was important to him and many times you know the people say happy wife happy life you know, I mean, I think that part of being in relationship is that, you know, it's the giving, not only what you get. And so for her, in that giving, she also got a lot of joy. And so it, it you know, it was really, I think, emotionally fulfilling, fulfilling for both of them, you know, for different reasons. That's a lovely story. You mentioned erectile dysfunction. Do you happen to have men come into your office with a trench coat and a hat and glasses when, when they're coming for something like this, hoping that their neighbor doesn't see them right, walking right, through right, the door? Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, it can definitely be embarrassing. And, you know, one of the things, you know, I have to tell you that there are times when I will, you know, it will feel like kind of a surreal moment. Like when you're, you know, in the middle of whatever it is and you're like, am I really doing this? You know, and so, and I'll give you a classic example. So there are many different approaches to, well, there are many reasons since we're in men's health, there are many reasons why men develop erectile dysfunction. Um, you know, there are things like 
diabetes that affect the small vessels, smoking affects small vessels. And so when we think about, and that's one of the interesting things is that people don't usually associate smoking and erectile dysfunction, but the same effects that smoking has on the vessels in the heart and in the vessels around the rest of your body, it's the same impact and effect that it has on the, uh, the vessels in the penis. And so I will always tell patients, and the data supports this, that if I see you know, younger men in their 40s coming in with erectile dysfunction and they have a smoking history, you know, I will say to them you know, that that is really sometimes an indicator and an early sign of heart disease. Oh. So yes, so it is a, a marker of your heart disease risk. So smoking, you know, hypertension, because the medications that you take for hypertension to decrease the blood flow to the rest, you know, to the, 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 the pressure in the vessels also will impact on the vessels in the, um, in the, in, in the penis. We talked already about diabetes or some other medications, like some psychiatric medications that cause erectile dysfunction as well. Testosterone levels, testosterone is the male hormone. And so that also in, um, in some men will be lower than um, normal that can also affect, affect erections. Obviously people who've had certain types of surgeries can affect the erection. So those are things that can affect erection. So one of the things that, you know, we do when we're thinking about how we address erectile dysfunction is first, we try to identify what is the underlying issue and see if we can address or correct that issue. If we're not able to correct the underlying issue, then, you know, there are medications like the Viagra, as I just um, mentioned, that help with the erectile, you know, keeping the blood in the, in the penis for a little bit longer. Um, if that medication does not work, then there are other medications that we can um, insert into the penis in two different ways. Either it can be introduced through the urethra, so it's squirted into the urethra, and then that helps the vessels in the, the penis to kind of dilate the vessels into the penis so that the you know, blood rushes, rushes in and the erect, they are able to have an erection, or you can inject the medication into the penis. So just a little um, needle that is used to inject the medication into the penis. So when we use the medication that's squirted into the urethra, we usually need to make sure that the dosing is correct because one of the opposite problems that can occur can be um, too prolonged erection. So if you take a medicine, you inject something that makes the erection last for too long, and that's called priapism. And there are people, especially people with men with sickle cell, who that is an issue that they encounter for a lot of, you know, as a very common issue. But so priapism is when an erection lasts for too long, and that's problematic because it can then result in decreased um, oxygenated blood to the penis, which means that the tissues begin to have adverse effects um, because they're not getting the appropriate amount of oxygen. So it's really an emergency where we need to make sure that we can have the penis to detumesce or to become flaccid. So when, when, when we are, I'm, when the medications, the oral medications don't work, and then, you know, I'm trying to establish like what, what of the, um, the, the dose is going to be appropriate for that patient, or I'm showing them how to inject the medication into the, the, the penis, or I have to show them how to, you know, apply the, the medication into the urethra, 
I, we have to do a test in the office to kind of see the response. So basically it will be that, okay, you know, I'll go in, I'll, you know, show them kind of how to, if I'm doing, let's say the one that goes into the urethra, I'll show them how to do it. We'll do it. I'm trying to assess the dose that's going to work. So I, you know, introduce it into the urethra. Then I got to kind of like, you know, kind of massage the penis in between my hands to try to get it to be distributed then I have to leave them for like five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever time it will take for the, you know, the penis to become erect. And then I have to go back in and then I have to kind of feel it, you know, to feel the penis to make sure that, okay, like, okay, exactly how, you know, full is it? How, how much has the, you know, what percentage of the erection has occurred and so on and so forth. So I have, and so that in that assessment, and then of course, for the patient, you know, they're really enthusiastic because, you know, they're like, oh yes, great, great, great. What's going up? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> And so, you know, and so sometimes you're like, I'm like, this is really kind of a little bit strange, you know, <laughs> I mean, but it's all in a day's work. And most of the time, you know, you do it without even thinking, but they're just those periodic moments when you literally catch yourself and you're like, if my mother saw me doing this, what would she say? (laughs) 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 When you think about being a doctor, you don't necessarily think about that, but you really realize that it is so incredibly important. And one of the things that I find, you know, people kind of, when people think about, you know, seeing a doctor of the opposite sex because there's some type of sexual type of connotation associated with, you know, seeing a doctor or having a doctor of the opposite sex being involved in managing these very intimate parts of yourself. And, you know, and it's really interesting how as a doctor, when you, when I'm doing those type of things, like there is no kind of sexual thought. There's nothing about it that in the least bit kind of feels like, oh, this is, you know, kind of, you know, on, 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 on crossing a line. I mean, it is so clinical and really and truly your whole objective is that you understand how important this particular issue is and how important this function is to that patient. And you're really trying your best and you're being very sensitive to, you know, the needs that you are really 100% committed to doing, you know, what you need to do to be able to assure that they're going to have the best outcome and you want to have them do it safely. So you could say, so I could say, well, you know what, this is what you have to do. Look at a YouTube video and, you know, (laughs) let me know how it works out. I mean, I could do that. and And I'm sure that there are probably people who do that, but I don't think that that is really serving the best interests of the patient because I need to make sure that number one, they understand the process, that they understand the instructions, that they have the appropriate dose that does not become, you know, create an issue because if there's an issue, then we can deal with it in the office. So, you know, you have to let go of all of the inhibitions or all of the kind of stereotypical things that you kind of associate with, the genitalia and you bring yourself fully into, I am a physician that is designated to take care of this problem that this patient has. And I do it to the best of my ability. And I let go of any of 
Mm-hmm. You know, the things that we have been socialized to think of and to believe when it is that we're dealing with, you know, the, with, 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 people, with the, you know, the genitourinary tribe. That's awesome. That's a great story, too. Initially, when you described it, I thought, oh, the man must feel so uncomfortable. But then, no, because he's getting what he wanted. He's getting what he came here for. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And even for him, it's also not. And so many times, you know, I will say once I'm kind of satisfied that they have kind of gained, you know, the appropriate erection. Um, and, you know, then I'll say like, well, okay, you know, you don't like, we don't have to stay necessarily for the whole fit to go down because, you know, I'm going to set these things in motion. You're going to let me, you're going to call me to let me know X, Y, and Z at this particular time. But then I'll be like, you know, you better go use that thing. <laughs> so I'll be like, uh, where's your wife? Where's your significant other? You know, what you need to go and, <laughs> and get busy. And so it's that, you know, it's also just keeping it real mm-hmm. that patients appreciate. And so, um, and, 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 and so that increases just that comfort level of, you know, I'm not embarrassed. I'm like, this is what I do. And, you know, and you need to go make the best use of it. Awesome. Do you have any closing thoughts as we start to wrap up? I mean, I think my, my closing thought is really encouraging the listeners. I think not just if they're men listening, because most of, if, if you'll see the studies, the studies say that men who have either wives or significant others actually live longer and healthier lives because many times it is the women in, our, in, in men's lives that are really responsible for holding their partners, you know, responsible or their significant others responsible for making sure that they're taken care of. And so I would encourage with men or with this woman who's listening that, you know, there is so much information out there and that our bodies are really temples and that we have an opportunity based on what we know and the information that we have to live our best lives, to live lives as long as possibly can if we pay attention to our health. And so don't be afraid, you know, to, 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 to be able to, number one, be consistent from the time that you are young to establish a routine where a healthcare provider is a part of your normal annual, you know, regimen. Number two, be engaged and be proactive and use your voice. Don't be afraid to expect that you should have the best care possible. And so inform yourself now with the internet, there is no, absolutely no reason if you're going in for an annual exam that you should not have a printout of what are the things at age 30 that you should be asking? What are the things at age 40? What are the things at age 50? What, I mean, these are things that are available, this information that are available so that you are participating in your health. And that if you have 
a physician, a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, whomever is a provider who does not give you the answers that you're looking for or who does not take the time to explain to you that you insist and that you know that you are empowered to ask the questions and to get the answers that you need to make sure that you are being as healthy as possible. And so I think if those are the three things. If you make sure that, you know, you're thinking about these things, you're caring for, you know, each other, you're actively engaged, you're being informed and educated, and you're making sure that you are being diligent about engaging in your care and your health care. And the things that I mentioned, which are what are the aspects of your emotional, mental, and physical health, it's not just about going to the doctor. It's about are you, what are the, the behaviors that are healthy behaviors? Are you making sure that you're not smoking? Are you making sure that you're checking your blood pressure regularly, that you're not waiting until you go to the doctor to check your blood pressure? Do you know your family history so that you make sure that you know, you know what are the things that you are at risk for? Are you making sure that you're eating a healthy diet, that you're trying to be as plant-based as possible, that you're not saying, well, this is just the way that we've always eaten. Like, you know, like my mother lived to hundred and she, you know, she ate, or she drank, a, you know, a, a gallon of liquor every day or she smoked every day. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, not reverting to those, oh, so-and-so did it. And so I'm perfectly fine doing it, but really understanding that there is risks associated and, and one person might have gotten away from it, away with it, but in all likelihood, it is contributing to decreasing your lifespan. So, you know, engaging in healthy eating, you know, trying to stay away as much as possible from processed foods, decreasing your salt, knowing all your numbers, your cholesterol, your prostate-specific antigen, your PSA, getting the appropriate screening test, you know, not being afraid, making sure that you are uh, maintaining a healthy weight. And then what are the things that what I call positivity pauses, engaging in the things that are about self-care, which is that you're taking the time to decrease your levels of stress and you're practicing these habits of positivity that really help to, you know, roll in to your having a really perspective where you enter your life and whatever are the situations in your life that you approach it from this feeling of empowered, encouraged, you know, can do, gratitude. I know that there's going to be a solution. I'm, I'm going to convert whatever the limit is into the opportunity. I'm holding on to the positives, not letting the negatives weigh me down. I know I'm here for a purpose and I'm here to care for others. I'm not to live a life that's totally self-centered and all about me. And that I'm going to find all those things that I can be thankful for. And I think if you can incorporate and you can kind of adhere to those, that, that, that list, I think that you really assure yourself of, of, of living the best possibly healthy life that you can. Fantastic list. <laughs> Thank you. And that's Where's spiritual and, you know, the spiritual and to me, the grounding, as I said, within that, you know, coming back to knowing that, you know, that there, there, that there's, that there's, for me, it's God, this bigger entity outside of ourselves that is so incredibly important in that assurance, that confidence, that anchor, that when you, when all else fails, like you literally, you know, you stand in the knowledge that, there's some so that he got you. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's got you. Where can people find you? People can find me at 
either um, www.dronikawilliams.com. So that is my personal uh, webpage, which is in the process of being, you know, reconfigured, but there's still, you know, if you want to know a little bit more about me and find out just a lot of the work that I've done and talks that I've given and, you know, so on and so forth, my platform, you can find me there. My children's book, an educational series is housed on the www.drdynamo.com website. You can find me on Facebook, also on Dr. Didi Dynamo, Dr. Nika Williams. My, I have an Island of Positivity page that, you know, brings just some positive inspiration and, and that, you know, will be, you can sign up, I think, on, on the website for the newsletters. We're getting ready to kind of do a little bit of rebranding in preparation for the next book. But, you know, if you sign up for the newsletter, then, you know, you'll kind of get regular updates. You can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, and you can find me on Instagram under, you know, Dr. Didi Dynamo as well. Very accessible. You're everywhere. <laughs> uh, yes, 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 it is. You know, and it's, look, this is a constant journey. I mean, those platforms, I'm always aspiring to be more, you know, kind of active on all of them and realizing that on the social media, you know, the kind of the minute to minute, type of engagement is very difficult when you're seeing patients and doing surgeries and so on and so forth. But I do hope that people are still able to be able to get, you know, the finger on the pulse of what, you know, what this is all about, what the work that I do in that um, it provides them with another perspective as to how to stay encouraged and how to have a process of being positive that really enhances their health because ultimately the intersection of for me it's the mindset as it impacts on your health and wellness and for me it's intellectual health which is why i'm really committed to you know the children's book series and the educational work that comes there because it first starts with believing in themselves they, they believe that they can be scientists they believe that they could learn they believe that they have amazing minds that is the springboard for then all of the amazing you know wonders of science and literacy and books and discovery that are obtained contained in the pages of the dr Didi dynamo series and in so many other books and creating the role modeling and the visioning that always rolls into i believe that i can do it and you know for the adult um you know version it is about how do i you know develop this process that helps me to get to a place where my mental, emotional, and physical health are improved and elevated because of the way in which I interact with the world and because of how I use this set of principles to layer every single thing that I encounter. Um, apply it to that, 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 apply that lens to it. When, this, when is the book expected to be out? I expect the not today negativity to be out no later than March, so of of twenty twenty one. So hopefully, but you know February, but March I, I think is the latest. So it's all in um, in process. When you described it, I thought perfect book for reading in a pandemic where people are having all sorts of mixed emotions. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and, and before then, I am working on a 
podcast and the blog where we're really going to be exploring positivity and health and you know it's whether it's going to be the not today um negativity is going to be part of a blog and a podcast and that will come out probably within the next month so that will be the plan for that would be in preparation you know for the launch of the book so that people and the audience does have a chance to begin to engage in just the material and the work and you know the practices and the mindsets and then bringing you know bringing other guests on who exemplify and who have use these various, you know, approaches in their lives and how, you know, it has played out for them. That's very exciting. I can't wait to listen and to read. Well, Dr. (laughs) thank you so much for coming by the Good Health Cafe and for all the wonderful gems that you shared with us here today. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I mean, this is every single person, as I said, has multiple assignments. And I think if we all bring what our gifts and talents to bear and just the commitment to serving others, and that's what you're doing, you know, you're, this is about service. And if we focus on that and how we are able to serve and to touch, then, you know, the world will continue to just be, you know, a much continue to be a better and a better and a better place. So congratulations on your work and you keep up the good work. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of, you know, your vision and your mission and your work. Thank you. I really appreciate it. When you were saying you had, sometimes you have patients come and they say, well, I don't know why I was referred. That's why I have the Good Health Cafe here. I want people to ask those questions, take those notes so that they can fill in those blanks and they can say, I'm here because Dr. So-and-so said X, Y, Z is my problem. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you. Well, you're doing it. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Williams as much as I did. She's kind, compassionate, and generous with her time. If you want to follow her amazing work and learn more about the wonderful Dr. Didi Dynamo book series, I have placed links to all the channels she mentioned in the show notes. And if you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to the Good Health Cafe podcast and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, bye.